Pike oh, back yes. blocked, and Pick it is up. going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown. It's your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans. We'll take you to places most fans never go, to practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown, Taysom Hill. Taysom TD. Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby. Welcome inside Black and Gold. Steve Geller along with Jeff Nowak. Your week five edition, two and two Saints, getting ready to take on the one and three New England Patriots. Uh, It was a rough go last Sunday at home, as we all know. The team just unable to get into the end zone has been the biggest problem. Uh, trying to get points, scoring points, the name of the game in football. This team has had troubles doing. A uh, little bit banged up, came out of the game, I guess, as good as you hope they could end up, Jeff, after you know getting throttled on the field by Tampa Bay. Uh, wasn't as bad in the injury front. So, yeah, we're going to go through some of the injuries, uh, updates on Paulson Adebo, Cesar Ruiz. We're going to get the inju- for initial injury report on Wednesday, but so we're going to kind of preview that. We're not going to have an episode on Wednesday, so we're going to go into that today and get to anything from the injury report in our Friday episode. We're also going to go through film notes in the second segment. And then in the final segment, I want to kind of reset where the Saints are in terms of their upcoming schedule, because a lot, you know, a lot of there's surprises, right? Like I didn't expect Houston to be competitive, and I expected the Patriots to be more competitive, although they have been competitive. It's tough, so we'll we'll get into that. But yeah, let's go back. You know, the well, I I kind of ranted a lot about the offensive line and my frustrations about why James Hurst constantly has to hop across the line when you know, uh, yeah, we've seen the Saints in the past. You know, and that's one of the reasons you have Isaac Adam on the outside, right? Because you only want to have to change one position when somebody leaves. But two weeks in a row now, you've had to bring in a backup offensive lineman and James Hurst has had to move. So you not only have a backup in, you have someone changing midstream. That's not good. But so Andres Pete is out. Or Andres Pete went out with a concussion. Cesar Ruiz, it sounds like, is going to get back this week to practice. That's what Dennis Allen told us yesterday on the WWL Saints coaches show. Paulson Adebo is also expected to be back to practice on Wednesday. So those are two positive developments. The other guys we're going to be watching for, Jawan Johnson. He went out right in the pregame, right before the game started, um, which is obviously... While he was juggling? I, I don't know. I don't think the <laughs> juggling is what got him. But yeah, he, he was there warming up. And then all of a sudden I saw him stretching out his calf during the national anthem and during introductions. And that's not a great sign. And uh, yeah, so that's going to be one to watch. He dealt with a calf injury early in camp. So that's nothing necessarily new, but for a guy who has struggled to produce to this point, now missing a game with an injury, it's just very frustrating for a guy that I had high expectations for. Beyond that, you're talking about Lonnie Johnson Jordan Howden, both of whom are dealing with injuries. Lonnie Johnson left with a hamstring injury and did not return. Jordan Howden has a finger injury that he was wearing a brace over it. So, you know, to me, that kind of reads that he had a procedure and it was not going to be good for him to play with it last week. So hopefully that's a one week thing. Hopefully he can just brace like, like, you know, cover it and play because you're still without Marcus May for one more week. 
Right. He'll be back in week six. Um, but I think that's it. I think that's all on the injury front. Um, and so, you know, that's the frustrating thing is you can't really point to injuries as the culprit for why you've been bad other than maybe Derek Carr's shoulder. Um, and I will say Dennis Allen did say his regimen will pretty much stay the same this week. Uh, Carr's yeah. regimen. So it'll be interesting to see. I guess I'm expecting him to be limited tomorrow at practice. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually would expect him not to participate. At all. Yeah, I, I expect him to be a DMP. Because Wednesday is your lighter practice, right? It's usually kind of your install day for the upcoming week. And then so Thursday and Friday are when I think you'd want to see him throwing. Uh, because it just, and it just makes sense. Like, it's like, you know, why would you if, you, if you are a little bit worried about the recovery timeline, why would you not just give him that extra day? So, you know, maybe Derek Carr will be out there, but I wouldn't be surprised to see him taking the day and like he'll be out there but maybe not like maybe limited and not throwing a full allotment he'll be drinking smoothies with Ramcheck. i think jimmy graham and Ramcheck will be out there i think this program they're on is a, is a <laughs> rest day every other week i think that's how it's developed out through the training camp so i think okay. this is they won't get that day off so uh, he'll be drinking smoothies alone but uh yeah da said that he was sore on monday but it was he wasn't as sore as he was the monday before so that's a good sign. I don't think he's going to miss a game. You know, it's funny because it's like, well, if, if he didn't miss last week, he's definitely not going to miss this week. Uh, so, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's honestly frustrating because I wish you could be like, well, th- this team is just being hamstrung by injuries. Like I watched the Giants play last night and was like, well, they don't have their left tackle. Saquon's not out there. The offensive line is in shambles and Derek Jones, Daniel Jones is getting ta- sacked nine times. So would they be better with Andrew Thomas? Yes. Uh, the Giants, the Saints really don't have that excuse. Um, they, they're missing a couple players, but you have to bake in a cut some absences. Like you, no NFL team is completely healthy every week. So yeah, I, I think th- the Saints team just needs to play better. And that's that's the only thing about it. Yeah, what was disappointing too for me in the game with Tampa Bay was like, yay, the the big star, the shiny. Uh, offensive weapon, the leader of that offense, you could consider an Alvin Kamara. And while they got him enough touches, I didn't have a problem with that. It just wasn't able to really get any yards after catch. No, you know, and, you know, one thing that was, you know, DA did bring up on the coaches show yesterday that, you know, it's not, an, it's not like people, I tweeted this and people were like, wow, he's just trying to sugarcoat what happened. And it's like, no, it's just, just detail, right? <laughs> it's context for a weird stat line. So he had 13 catches in that game. Now, not all catches are created equally, right? One thing the Saints have started doing is these little pop passes, which you've seen in college for years, and they've started to filter up to the NFL the last few years. And so two of those receptions were actually pop passes where Kamara came in motion and you just kind of like pop the ball up and he, and he takes it. That's a forward pass. So if it hits the ground, it's an incompletion, right? But, but he, it, you know, that's technically a reception. And those two plays netted negative 13 yards. That hurts. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's like either way, it's a bad play. You know, it, it doesn't it's not absolving anything in terms of the play calling. It was a bad idea. And, uh, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about it. But from a statistical perspective, it makes it seem like how, how or like how do you catch 13 passes yeah. and only go 33 yards forward? That does not make sense. In reality, it was more like 11 receptions for 46 yards. 
and 13 carries <laughs> for 38 yards, right? So it, from a statistical perspective, it's just kind of funny because it's like, yeah, the, the, the reception total feels really weird, but that's contributing to it. Uh, it doesn't make the plays any better. It's just I thought it was interesting because I didn't even think about that in real time. And then it's like, well, yeah, that's that's how you get a couple extra. Because t- I don't remember him catching 13 passes. I was like, when did that happen? Well, two of them were there. Yeah, the overall outcome, whether it was pass, handoff, yeah. uh, n- none of it was working, unfortunately. And man, oh, man, uh, I don't know. I, I just i am curious with – and I think everybody is frustrated with the offense, play calling, personnel use – um, you know, you, you see Kendra Miller, even just one carry, just that's it. Just, just one carry for the guy. I was frustrated with Jimmy Graham's usage. <laughs> that's another I, one. Like I know like Juwan Johnson going out was a challenge because yeah. it's not like you could plan for it. That's the thing. When you have a guy go out right before the game, it's like you have a game plan in place and he's a big part of it. And suddenly a lot of that goes out the window and it's like, what, what does Jimmy know? What, what, what is Jimmy ready to do? Right? Like what has he been repping all week? And so it limits where you can put him and or it limits what you can do. Um, and, but at the same time, like there was a third down play where they called a shot play and it wasn't there. Rashid Shahid wasn't open. Um, and Jimmy was not wide open, but he had leverage on the guy in trail. And it's like, when Jimmy is not being fronted by somebody, you should be able to just loft it out in front of him and let him go get it. And it's like a third and four near midfield. And it's like, you don't have to throw that deep ball. Like Rashid's not open. Just give the six, seven guy a chance to make it a first down. Anyway, that, that's what that frustrates me. But, you know, we, Dennis Allen was asked this week, and, and this is going to be the rest of the time we talk about this in this segment. Dennis Allen was asked this week, if he considered, if he if he would consider making coaching changes, making play caller changes, and this is what he said: No, um, we won't make any um, coaching changes. Um, I don't think that's. I've never seen that to be the uh, the right answer, uh, particularly when you're four games into the season. Um, and yet, we have to be better. Um, and I understand everybody's frustration, and, and believe me, everybody in this in this building's frustrated with it because we, we have to find ways to put more points on the board. He was also asked, you know, is this a point where, you know, drastic decisions would be a little much? And he said, again, four games into the season, I don't think anything is drastic. I think that'd be ridiculous. And we have, to, and, and yet we have to be better. And that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I don't think if you were paying, DA wasn't going to change the play caller after week four. You're not doing anything like that. But it is something you have to look at. And I think they, they, they are aware of that. He also said Pete Carmichael is well aware of the target that's been put on his back in that regard. And is it, is it all fair? No. There was a lot of problems in this game that go well beyond Pete Carmichael. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's not unfair. It's not completely unmerited either. Like, there's things that need to be fixed with this offense. Well, I think this. <laughs> yeah. I just, when every time Pete Carmichael gets brought up, I think of that. But to me, Jeff, unfortunately, through four games now, thank goodness we're two and two. But man, th- this offense is looking very similar to what we were seeing last year with Andy Dalton running the show. I have not really seen an upgrade in anything yet. 
Yeah, I mean, 15 of Derek Carr's 23 completions, you know, and two of which were the pop passes to Alvin Kamara, were at or behind the line of scrimmage. He had 17 attempts at or behind the line of scrimmage in this game. In weeks one through three, which is only 10 quarters because he didn't play the second half against the Packers, he had 16 total. So he threw more pass attempts at or behind the line of scrimmage in this game than he did in the first three games of the season. And so, you know, it is funny because you look at it and you're like, you know, I, I did want him to throw more passes at the line of scrimmage. I did want him to check down a little bit more. Like I did want him to get the ball in Alvin Kamara's hands, but it's like, it's like you know, too much, <laughs> you know? Right. It's like, I can't, can't we, can't we, is there a medium here that we can reach? Uh, and it's, yeah. But you know, I, I, one of the things when you look at the Saints offense and the Saints staff, it's like, I think Dennis Allen and Pete Carmichael are kind of a package deal in this regard. Like, I don't think you are, you know, I think there's a scenario where at the end of this season, you're moving on from a head coach and an offensive coordinator. But I don't think, I don't think the solution exists where you just get rid of one of those guys and, and reset the deck with everything else in place. Right. And I think that's kind of like, if you, you, this is, this is the group that you are either going to succeed or fail with. If you look around and you look at teams that have fired offensive coordinators in mid season, things typically don't get better. So I think like the way Dennis Allen is looking at it. And I kind of agree is, you know, no, this is, it's, it's a pass fail class guys. Like you're, (laughs) you know, if you're changing coaches in midstream with that idea unless they've lost the locker room or there's infighting for whatever reason like you're you're punting on the season like that's kind of what you're doing like you're 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 not expecting it to get better immediately and so that's i agree with that like the the guys in the room have to get better and i don't can they that's a good question i don't know but i just i don't think this team is going to be the team that fires a coordinator midseason i just don't yeah, and to, to me, you know, some folks calling for, oh, they should promote Joe Woods to be the play caller. Well, isn't really um, – I'm sorry, Ronald Curry. Ronald Curry to to be the play caller. Isn't he technically a disciple, you would say, of uh, P. Carmichael then? Yeah, right. Like, what do you think would be different, I <laughs> exactly. guess, is the question. It's like they, they, he's the passing game coordinator now. Right. Right. So unless you like, I guess if you think that the only problem with this offense is that when Pete Carmichael is out there deciding what to run next, he's getting it wrong all the time. And Ronald Curry would be getting it right. You know, like Ronald Curry is a big piece of this passing game already. Like the development of this passing game is on his shoulders. Yeah. And, you know, one, one development of the last few days and the last Dennis, few Dennis Allen press conferences is his use of the word, is his use of, like, kind of halfway cursing, <laughs> you know? I think that was funny. Like, he opened his press conference after the game with, uh, uh, he got our ass beat. And then later on, he said, uh, uh, he said something like, if we didn't look at everything, if we, if we pretended it was all in execution, that would be a quote-unquote freaking cop-out. And then yesterday and Monday in his press conference, he had the quote, uh, we're not going to sit here and act like the sky is falling and the season is over. Do we have to get better? Freaking A, right, we do. <laughs> we need to do it quickly. <laughs> I just think that's funny. Hey, man, when someone drops a freaking A, right, you get attention. 
But it is funny because I know he was willing to curse in reality. Like Dan, right, Danny right. Willie Green, the Pelicans coach, doesn't curse, and it's the it's so strange. Like you see, you'll see him go berating or an official, and and he'll be like, "You freaking got it wrong!" And it's just like he just doesn't curse. It's like he it's a moral thing for him. He will not do it. Uh, Da, like he will. I know he will. Um, but in those the press conference, it was like, "I'm going to freaking freaking a." Uh, you know, I just thought it was funny, uh, but you know, it, like this, it, it's the way you lost the last two games makes this makes the scenario the Saints are in right now feel feel like zero and four. It's not zero and four. They have to get better, right? Like that's that's the thing on both sides of the ball. They have to be better. I actually thought like they put themselves in decent positions on defense a lot, and. They just didn't finish. Like Cam Jordan, he has Baker Mayfield on third down, dead to rights, and he just can't get his hand on him. I'm like Baker Mayfield's not Lamar Jackson, you know. Like you should, you should be. You're athletic and like Cam Jordan is more athletic than Baker Mayfield. We couldn't get to him, you know. And like the, the, those are the things that that it's like you can't can't call a better defensive play to to get a free rusher right in Baker's grill, you know, like. You got to play better. And so, you know, you can change all the coaches you want. <laughs> you know, if, if you're not tackling the quarterback when you have a chance, it, like, uh, you know, I thought Pete Werner, you know, low key had a really bad game. I, I think no one's talking about it because I think after the beginning of last season, everyone was like, Pete Werner is fantastic. And he was, he doesn't look confident right now. He's out of position a lot. He's missing tackles. Uh, that third down to Rashad White. Isaac Yadam did the right thing. Isaac Yadam closed off the sideline knowing that he had Pete Warner with inside leverage. Well, Pete gets too far inside and gets beat. And that's a first down. They scored a touchdown on that drive. That was an 87-yard touchdown drive that they converted third and eight by checking down in front of two defenders. You know, and there's no... I I said this after the game, and I still believe it. There's no good call for bad football. You got to play better. Um, And so, yeah, like... I think that's that's where the Saints are at right now. And I, I know a lot of people are frustrated and people are going to disagree with it. They're going to be like, get Pete out of here. We've seen it. We've seen it all last year. He's had 16 years to get this right. What is he going to change now? Um, I don't know. It's it's frustrating, but I think you, you, you got you to gotta get it done with these guys. A, a positive of all this nonsense is the fact that with the offensive line, at least, there was improved play in this game against Tampa Bay than what we saw previously. I'll say that. Yeah. Well, so one of the reasons I was griping about the whole Max Garcia in it, right guard and switching uh, James Hurst back to left guard is that Max Garcia got in and struggled. And I did think the protection was a lot better. I actually think there's a, there's a question. One of the questions that needs to be asked is, you know, I don't know if Andres Pete's going to be ready to play this week. He's dealing with a concussion, but when Caesar is back and Andres Pete is back, do you sit James Hurst? Because James has been struggling hard. Um, We've seen Trevor Penning get better. And I'm going to go through a little bit more on Trevor in the, in the, the kind of film notes segment. James I, he's on the struggle bus and I like James a lot. He's so he, he's, I talk to him every week. He's incredibly helpful. He's a smart guy. He knows what, you know, he's basically a coach on the offensive line. He's not getting it done. Uh, and so like, you know, that's, that's the frustrating thing. It's like week one, it was like, man, if Trevor can just get better, maybe this team <laughs> could 
have great protection. And, and then it's like, no, the pressure's coming on the inside. And that's, that's a death knell for a quarterback who can't, you know, I mean, Derek Carr can move, but he's not a mobile quarterback. He's not even as mobile as Baker. You know, he's, he needs to, he wants to stay in the pocket. And if he's getting right up his grill, he's not going to be able to run offense. That's how the saints beat the, beat the bucks with Tom Brady. Right. Like, yeah, I thought like, you, you, you know, you talk about with, with the offensive line, James Hurst hasn't been living up to expectations. Uh, but with someone like Ryan Ramchek, I don't know how he graded out in this game. Uh, we'll, we'll get more to it, I'm sure, with your film review. But man, that Packers game was definitely not a good showing for, for Ramchek. And you definitely don't like to see that at all. Yeah, Rashawn Gary ate his lunch a little bit. And yet, oh, so- man. You know, one of the things that had been happening early in the season is Trevor had been struggling so mightily, especially in week two, that I think in week three, you saw the Saints have to send help. They needed he needed a tight end. He needed a running back over to his side, which means that, you know, you you left Ryan Ramchek out to dry on his own. And and, you know, Ryan Ramchek is a very good right tackle. He's not having his best season and he's getting beat. Um, and so hopefully you get to a point where you trust Trevor a little bit more to hold up on the left side. So you can be a, be a little bit more thoughtful about not putting Ryan in bad position. But yeah, it, I thought like, you know, that's the thing. Like I talk about the injuries, that's not an excuse uh, because they haven't really been that bad. And the protection in this game was not that bad. And so I think that's the most frustrating thing is like the first three games, you're like, oh man, if they could only pass protect, this offense would be get, would get going. And then they did pass protect and they did not get going. And maybe Derek Carr's shoulder had something to do with that. Dennis Allen said there was two throws in the game that he thinks were directly related to the shoulder. Um, one of them was that short arm ball to Chris Olave. Uh, you know, Derek Carr after the game said something that uh, I think confused people. He was being asked by Mike Triplett about the those two throws or the two throws of one to Chris Olave that was short, and then the next play he threw it fifty five yards. And so Trip was asking him, you know, did you think the shoulder affected you on that first throw? And he, I think he said no. And then he was like, yeah, but you threw it fifty five yards on the next play. And Derek was like, I think I was just angry. Uh, and he was saying that, and I think a lot of people took that as I threw the ball to that read because I was angry and I just gave away a, a down. And what he's saying is he was angry. So that was like, like his, like his arm strength, you know, when you're, when you're mad and you punch a yeah. wall, you know, uh, like he, he had that extra bit of oomph on it because, you know, it was just, mm, you know, Ticked anyway. off, right. Right. That's what he was saying. I think some people took that as, he made a bad decision because he was angry and that's what he was admitting to, but that's not the context of the question with that. Either way, you know, there was two throws in that game that DA said what that was that one to Chris Olave. And there was another one to Mike Thomas over the middle of the field. I'm not entirely sure which throw he didn't specify. Uh, but you know, I think the, the overall game plan to some extent was a product of wanting to protect that shoulder. You don't throw 17 times at the line of scrimmage 15. If you don't, include the two pop passes because you're, you're, you're not worried about that shoulder. So. Yeah. And then fortune, unfortunately for Jameis, he comes in one pass, one pick and and that's not fair for him. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't think he had to make that throw. People, people, no. you know, I, I, I said after the game, I was bummed out because I was hoping he would come in and like give them something to talk about in terms of like, you yeah. should have started Jameis. And he, and the first thing he does is throw a pick, but it's like, he, 
you know, that he doesn't have to throw to his first read. You know, that's the thing. It's like Chris wasn't really open. I mean, there was two defenders there. Maybe he runs by him. But, you know, like he, he all you have to do is not throw to Chris and go through your progressions, which if he looked over and saw Alvin why by, by himself, that would have been a nice little check down. Right. Nope. Uh, maybe then Alvin would have had 14 catches for 50 yards. <laughs> anyway, it's. One of the puzzling, I, I, one of the puzzling yeah. things in this game, too, Jeff, was the fact that it seemed with an ailing quarterback in Derek Carr and all right, you're going to go with him. This, this would be a, a heavy Taysom game, and that really wasn't the case. I disagree. You think there was I, – I, I, I would. I wanted to see more of Taysom at quarterback. No, I mean, Taysom was in constantly. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, you, if you're looking at the, the number of runs, maybe not. Uh, let's see. But, I mean, yeah, he had four rushes for 10 yards. He threw a pass for 13 yards. He caught a pass for seven yards. So, you know, that's – but then he also had several plays where he just handed the ball off because it's a read. Um, now he was in a lot. Uh, like there was one play that, you know, they ran a double reverse kind of play where he took the snap, handed it to Derek Carr, flipped it back to Alvin Kamara. It was a bad decision. But like he got, you know, th- he was in there. Like there was at one point in the second half, I thought they were using him too much. I thought they were being too formulaic about really? it. Yeah, well, so they that was the I think it was the first drive that ended in a field goal in the second half because you know they were moving the ball and then for like the third consecutive possession or the third consecutive set of downs they just put Taysom in on first down and he ended up losing like four yards and it was like yeah after a while they're gonna they're gonna start keying on it and that's when you stop doing it it's not when you start doing it so I actually think I disagree you know and he wasn't effective either. Last year against the Bucks, he wasn't effective. They stop it well. They have good linebackers. They're fast. Definitely he had four do, carries man. for ten yards, right? Like it's not like it's not like the Taysom Hill runs. The Taysom Hill package was like hyper effective. So yeah, I, I disagree. I think they use Taysom plenty in this game. Yeah, I just I guess I wanted to see more passing attempts from him, and that just wasn't the case. Yeah, I, I actually I agree with that. I wouldn't have minded seeing him throw the ball a couple times more. Um, which is weird to say, but you know, <laughs> know. He, right. he, threw, he threw the ball once and it was a nice little play. So let me see. Let me just look here and see how many snaps Taysom was actually in on. Yeah. Yeah, he had, he was on the field for 33 snaps, 10 special team snaps. That's a lot. I mean, Jimmy Graham was on the field for 43 snaps, so they had the exact same number of snaps. It's 51%. That's a good number for him. Like Chris Olave was in for 53 snaps. They only ran 65 offensive plays. It's not like they had a huge number of offensive plays. So yeah, I, I, I didn't have a problem with that. But I mean, I would have liked to see him be effective. So, you know, like yeah, that. I would have clarified things more and definitely say Taysom the passer more than anything, I guess. I know yeah, like, I, that's weird to say. No, I mean, because they're gearing, like, I think there's a point where the teams are gearing up to stop them and they're good at it. And so you, you want to try to burn them, right? Like even the the times they've had him in to throw, they were like just his little dink passes. Like it's like why is he not like if you have Taysom in to throw, I want it to be like a potential big play. Otherwise, it's not worth it. Like I don't I don't need Taysom in there to throw a thirteen yard out. Yeah, there, there, there's just a lot of I guess play calling issues, but it goes into everything when you're not when you're not winning, you're not scoring, you're not moving the change. There's going to be a ton question constantly. Yeah, yeah, and in the red zone, you know, I I think. Pete Carmichael, you know, they, they did 
they had some interesting alignments. They ran some interesting plays in, in this game. They used some orbit motion with Rashid Tahid that worked early on. They got the ball out wide to Alvin Kamara. That worked, and that was something that I had a gripe about last year where you weren't doing that enough. They did run some screens. I don't think they ran any screens to Alvin specifically, but they did run some screens. Um, you know, it just a lot of it didn't work. And, you know, there's you, you can point to the play calling, which there was play calling issues. But again, it's like, you know, if Adam Prentice catches that pass on third and nine and you're at midfield, which you should have been. And then all of a sudden you're up three oh, you're in control. You know, if Adam Prentice doesn't fumble at the goal line, you know, you're you go into halftime down seven three or down seven six or or, or up ten seven. If you're finishing that off, that drive off that that ended with that drop, so you know, I, I said this after the game. It's like, man, fullbacks do not get a lot of opportunities to impact games, and yet he still managed to have a massive impact on that game in a very negative way. Um, I thought it was odd that Dennis Allen mentioned the fact with the play with uh, Prentice that he fumbled. They were they were they would have considered doing a quarterback sneak with Carr, and I'm like, I'm not buying that. No, I think they would have. Um, Why wouldn't you have Taysom do that then? I mean, because Taysom doesn't really go under center very often. I, <laughs> I mean, we've seen them run it with Taysom and it hasn't worked. Like that's not that's not. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I I'm okay with a quarterback sneak there. Um, the funny thing is they did run a sneak later in the game with right. their car. So clearly it wasn't completely out of the equation, but at the same time, if your alternative was a fullback die, they weren't doing that again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like if you're not giving the ball back to Adam in that situation. So I, like, I don't have a problem with the play call. Like if that's the, 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 the issue is he, it's his first carry of the season and he's Adam Prentice, but I don't know. It's, it's tough either way. Like the, the moral of the story is, you know, Pete Carmichael's not going anywhere, uh, at least not anytime soon. He's going to get a chance to turn this around. Uh, as frustrating as that might be to hear, it's the reality. He's going to get a chance to turn this thing around. If he can do it, great. If he can't, then, you know, gear up for a new coaching staff next season, I think. But, yeah, that's, I mean, I don't know how else to say it. No, I, like, I, to, to me right now, I'm really... I'm really shaky on how I feel about the rest of the season just because the offense right now is, like I said, it's looking very identical to what we saw last year. And that was with Mr. Above Average Part 2, I guess you would say, Andy Dalton running the show. And things haven't gotten that spark with Derek Carr now under center. So to me, it just comes down to I- I've got to put it on on Carmichael on this. It's it's for whatever reason. Yeah. And, you know, things aren't gelling. They're not getting efficiently accomplished because of the play caller at this point. I I don't know what the solution is. No, and I mean, he gets blame, but, you know, a lot there are a lot of teams in the NFL that are just not playing good football right now. So it's not like the Saints are alone in that. Sure. Vikings are one and three. Panthers are 0 and four. Bears are 0 and four. Browns are two and two. Falcons scored seven points against the Jags (laughs) and people are saying they should bench Desmond Ritter, right? Uh, I mean, the Patriots are one and three. That's who the Saints play next week. The Jets are one and three. The Raiders are one and three. Like there's a lot of bad teams in the NFL right now. And so it's a race to get better. And, you know, I think this, they're going to, this, the Saints team is going to bet that they can do that. You know, it might be a bad bet, but you know, the, that's how it works. Anyway. Yeah. Go, going into things, obviously we had, we had very high expectations. I think, because of the changes this team made and the schedule and right now 
it's like I said, it's kind of looking more of the same from a year ago, unfortunately. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. But let's wrap up this segment. We'll come back. We'll get into some film notes. Uh, this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. You can follow us on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak and at Steve Geller WWL. If you haven't subscribed wherever you get your podcast, please do that. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. If you haven't, if you listen on Apple Podcasts, that'd be great. I appreciate it. We've got some nice reviews over the last couple of weeks, even as everything has fallen apart uh in 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 the whole positivity land but hey you know we we do what we can but all right keep it locked on inside black gold we will be all right and we're back on inside black and gold i'm jeff nowak we are going to get into some film notes from this week to match up programming note. I have gotten angry emails from the powers that be at Odyssey. And apparently I am the one of uh, the only people on the planet who is not allowed to break down all 22 film on YouTube. So that is what it is. But if you want to go look at the film that I'm talking about, I still post it to, to Twitter. Um, and so if you are listening to this or watching this on YouTube and you'd like to kind of check out some of the clips that I am referring to, a lot of them will be on my Twitter account at Jeff underscore Nowak. Um, and this particularly for this first person I'm going to talk about, which Trevor Penning, he was a punching bag for week one and week two. And for good reason, right? He allowed 10 pressures, three sacks over two weeks. He was struggling hard. He wasn't getting out of his stance. He was getting beat with speed. He was getting beat with power. He was too far over his heels. So he was getting driven back. These last two weeks, he's taken serious steps forward. And, you know, he's been getting some help, right? And it's it's funny, you when you watch the tape and you go back, you can see the help behind him at points. Like there's like, and and like Alvin is there ready to pick up a block, but he's it's he's not needed. <laughs> you know, and it's it's kind of funny because you can see it. He's ready to hedge, but the block is good enough that he's like, okay, I'm just gonna clear out. And that's good to see. You know, he's allowed one uh, three pressures. He allowed one pressure against the Packers, two against the Bucks, zero sacks. Um, even in, in against Green Bay when the pressure was was significant and the set he Derek Carr got sacked three times in barely, you know, two and a half quarters. You know, he's not one of the culprits for one of those sacks. And so, you know, you can see the progress. He's still not perfect. He's still going to, he's still on a learning curve, but you know, the run blocking was always going to be there. He got a 91 grade from PFF, um, PFF and run blocking this week. I think he got like a 78 grade in pass blocking, which I think is a career high for him, you know, so he's, he's improving, he's getting better. And that's all you can hope for with for a young player in his fifth career start. Right. So you know, I, I think he really did hold up well, and I have a kind of a montage of some of the good reps uh, on that I posted on Twitter this morning. So if you want to go check that out, I like I just you know for all of the negative things that you can say about this team and the issues on offense and the the lack of points and scoring and and drive movement, I think that's that's a really positive sign for this team going forward. Yeah, like you said, he was easy target to be the punching bag in the beginning, and there it wasn't just you know made out of the blue. It was for good reason, obviously. Uh, tape don't lie, but yeah, I thought uh, you mentioned Penning, you know, being better this game. Just in all the the offensive line seemed to perform a whole lot better. I know there were still obviously some issues, but at least uh, there was you know an an, an advancement in protection because. 
things were not look. You know, we talked about it looked like Derek Carr or whoever's that quarterback was going to get killed back there. Yeah, and I mean, like people ask for adjustments, right? And you know, we can say that Pete has done everything wrong, and and you know, there's been a lot of mistakes, whatever. You know, I think one of the adjustments they made in this game was a good one in that they got the ball out of his hand faster. Now, the, a lot of these plays were not successful, and the Bucks have one of the fastest linebacking cores in the NFL when that, you know, so you're not able to get the ball in space and get the type of yardage that you might hope for against some other teams. Like there was a play that Derek Carr checked down to Alvin Kamara and, you know, he caught the ball, he put his foot in the ground to turn, but then Devin White just ate him up. And it was like, yeah, because Devin White's fast, right? Like he can get there. He's not, you know, Dalvin's not breaking that tackle, especially not this week when he's kind of just getting back into the rhythm of things. But, you know, if you go back and you watch those two drives that ended in field goals in the in the second half, it was by running the ball. It was not it, – it, it, they didn't bog down on third and short at the 40-yard line because it was like, oh, shot, shot play time, you know. And, you know, instead they just picked up the first down and kept the chain moving, kept the chain moving. It bogged down in the red zone. One of them we talked about with the Taysom Hill run that probably didn't need to happen because it was a bit too obvious – and lost a couple yards, so you end up in third and nine. And then, you know, that's but that's the thing with the Saints offense. If you can stay ahead of the chains, you have a chance to be successful. If you get behind the chains, this has not shown to be an offense that can overcome that. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it, there are things to complain about, and there's just common sense. And that's one of them is, you know, don't run a play that's that risks you losing – five yards on second and five. Like it, it's like not all plays are going to be successful, right? The, when we talked about that kind of reverse to Alvin Kamara where Taysom Hill gave the ball to Derek and then he put a pop, pop pass to Alvin. And it's like, I don't hate the idea because you're setting that up throughout the game. You went to it too early. You went to it before setting a precedent. And it's a situation where on second and five in the red zone, I don't want to see a play that if the defense plays it correctly, you risk a five to eight yard loss. Like it's not like it's not like they made a spectacular play, the defense. And it's not like the offense screwed up. You are relying on misdirection way behind the line of scrimmage to succeed. And if it doesn't, which it didn't, you lose eight yards and that effectively torpedoes your drive. You're in third and twelve. And yeah, you know, that's those are the type of play calls where it's like just you know, I get it. You want to be creative and you don't want to be formulaic and you don't want to be bland, but at a certain point you're, you're, you're out thinking. Um, and, I, and that's, that's honestly, you know, it's, it's weird. How many different critiques of Pete Carmichael can you have that he's, <laughs> that he's thinking it and then he's underthinking it, that they're not prepared, that they're too prepared. And, uh, but yeah, it's just, it's such it, like the situational decision-making is, is what really stands out where it's like, I don't hate this idea. I actually think that play call could work in the right circumstances, not on second and five at the 15 yard line or whatever it was like, that's those, those are the decisions that it's like, you look back on film and you're like, why, what were you, what were you trying to accomplish here? Anyway. Uh, back to what you mentioned with Penning and PFF, you know, what he had it ranking the offensive line in general, though, did, you know, our thoughts about, you know, the, the gradual improvement in this game and what looked to be a better performance, did that shake out according to PFF stats too? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the total pressures they allowed were 12 and 39 dropbacks, uh, one sack or two sacks. But the second one was just like, you know, near the end of the game and Derek was holding on to it, trying to make something happen. We talked about this. Like one thing that that is very clear about Derek is he's not going to just throw the ball away on third and nine uh, to avoid getting hit, right? Like he's willing to stand in there and take a hit on third and long, if it means like that extra second where you might be able to make something happen downfield. Now, when that's happening on first and second down, it's an issue when it's happening on third down. It's just like, yeah, he's that that's, that's part of doing the job. Um, so like that second sack, I don't have an issue with a majority of the sacks he's taken have come on third and down third down and, and more than half of them have come on third and nine or longer. But yeah, I mean, I think the Bucks offensive line allowed 11 pressures. So like you're talking, you're at, you're you're getting closer to league average, right? Like you're. I wouldn't say this is a great offensive line based on the way they played on week four. But if you play like the way you did in week four, yeah, you can you can work with that. You cannot work with the way they played in in week one. You cannot work with the way they played in week three. I think they were okay in week two. Yeah, week three to me was definitely the one that my eyes were popping out of my skull. And like I said, seeing Ryan Ramchek getting abused was not what I needed to see. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, like again, like so, some of the changes, like running the ball more, getting the ball out quickly, that helps your offensive line, right? Like even, even if you lose, if the ball's out of the quarterback's hands, you won. You know, like there's only so much time and you don't have to win for three seconds. You just have to win for a half second. I would like to see the offensive line block better on downfield on screens. Um, you know, the, one of the gripes in this game was Chris Olave's performance, not only like just getting, catching balls, which I don't know if they, I don't think he had a drop, but you know, just I think the, it was one. The, the effort was questioned, I think on the broadcast. And I, I do think that there was a play early in this game where Chris Olave got hit hard on a short pass to the left um, and he came like kind of hobbling off the field. I think he got dinged up on that play. I think, you know, when you're when you're trying to play through something and not a major injury, right? It didn't take him out of the game. I think in a game like that where you're not getting the ball and you're and you're feeling something, and that kind of hurts uh, your performance. But my issue is not so much the route running, which is something that I know was questioned. It's the blocking. Block, you got to be better. And that's the frustrating thing. It's like everyone says the wide receivers aren't here to block. And then you watch the film and you're like, man, that, that play could have worked if Chris Olave didn't get blown up. There was one where they, they threw it quick in the flat to Alvin Kamara. And you just watch. He runs into Chris Olave's back because Chris Olave is getting drawn. Like he, he, he stayed in front of the guy, I guess. But he gets driven back four yards. Like, and it's like, again, just got to hold your ground. Like you don't even have to move him. You just can't just plant your feet, dude. Um and, you know, that's the frustrating thing is like you if you can only run to one side of the field because that's the side Mike Thomas is on that, you know, then, then you start to you start to, you know, the, the defense kind of keys on that. Right. And that's why, you know, everyone's like, well, why is Traquan Smith here? He was good at that. <laughs> it was something he was good at. Right. Like it's not great at a lot of things, but he was really right. good at that. Um, and so, you know, those are the blocks that are really frustrating because like every week you look and you're just like, man, that was set up. That was the right call. Didn't, didn't hold up on a block or you, or you or you held on a block like for that Taysom Hill run against the Packers that I think, you know, if they, they get that run, they have a really good chance to win that game because it's just one extended drive away from putting that game away. Um, and so like t- t- 
And that's true of the offensive line too, when they get out to the edges of the field. Um, so, you know, that's, those are things that, you know, I've, have been an issue every week and you see him on film every week. Uh, looking at the film, just curious your thoughts uh, or grade, whatever you want to say on um, Brian Brzee. I thought he had another, you know, pretty good outing for this team. Yeah. You know, Brian's interesting and he, and he did play well, um, you know, and, and he's one of those guys that when he makes a big play, it's a big play and and you see him like any, he, and he's right in the backfield. He's swallowing the running back. It was that, that play, honestly, it reminded me of Jadavian Clowney in the Outback Bowl, you know, when he just like destroyed the Michigan running back and his helmet flew off. And then he, like the only, that was the only difference is, you know, he wasn't able to hit him hard enough that his helmet popped off like a cork and then he fumbled, but it was that type of play. He got in the backfield that fast. Uh, there was another play. He got back through for a sack. I think he had two tackles for loss. But that's the thing with defensive tackles. It's like you, when you're trying to grade their performance, you can't only grade the successful plays. Right. When they hit home. Yeah. Cause like, you, you know, what about that? I mean, they got run on all day and like the rushing yards for the Bucks aren't as, aren't as high as you, you might have thought they would be. But in, in situations where you needed a, you know, to hold them to no gain on first down. It was like they always got four or five yards. They kept themselves in really good down and distance situations because they were able to run successfully. And a lot of times that's the D tackles, right? That's that's what you're doing. And you maybe you got blocked. And, uh, you know, Dennis Allen has made a point. Uh, he made a point on both his press conference talking about Brian Brzee and on the WWL Coaches Show talking about Brian Brzee. And so here is that, here's that clip uh, that we can play right now. Yeah, well, I'm, you know, talking about uh, Brian Brzee, I mean, I, th- I think he's been active inside for us. He, he brings an athletic element inside, and he's, uh, you know, got the ability to, to win quick. Uh, you know, he had the sack in the game and, and, and then had the nice tackle for loss on, a, on an inside movement. Uh, so I think he's doing some really good things. Obviously, there's still some things he's got to improve on. You know, his pad level, I think, has got to get better and, you know, some of his fundamentals and technique. But uh, certainly I think he's – uh, he's made some impact plays for us. That's a coach who is trying to do two things. One, he's trying to keep this young player grounded so that he's not constantly b- like buying into his own hype of how great he is and not thinking he still has a lot of work to do, which every young player does regardless of how good they've been. So there's that. And there's also, that's true. Like There's points where you watch it on film and it's like, he's not a great run player right now. And it's part of what he talks about his pad level gets too high. So he gets taken out of the play and he gets blocked down and then there's a lane to run through, right? Like he needs to keep his center of gravity low. And that's something that when you kind of, and Mike Dettelier talks about this, he, he's got long legs. He's got a high center of gravity. So there will be points where, you know, a low man wins, right? And so you, the guy gets under him and he's not as effective, but the speed is legit. The spin move, the power is legit. And so it's kind of marrying those things, marrying those highlight plays with consistency that that he needs to work on. And that's what DA is trying to get to there. So, and you can see it on film. Like you can see when he makes these huge plays and it's like, man, great pick. That kid's a dude. Uh, and so like, you know, like he's in a great position to continue to get better and better and better and better. And once he does get that techni- technique down, He's going to be a, a force. He's going to be an every down force, like an Aaron Donald type interior lineman. But you know, he's still developing, and that's what you know. That's that's what you're hearing there. 
Yeah, and I, I I know that you know the coach doesn't want to you know like you said inflate the rookie's ego too much. Right. Uh, but I mean it's it's hard not to notice him. I guess when yeah, there seems to be at least one play a game that Brazil stood out. Yeah, you can't teach the stuff he does. Like th- yeah. that's the thing. It's like, and that's why he's a first round draft pick because you know his natural ability is so good and is so his ceiling is so high that he even even still feeling his way out. Like I think Colin Saunders referred to him as a six five Gerber baby. Like what he's <laughs> yeah. saying is, you know, he's still a child. He's still figuring things out, but he's so talented that even as he does that, he's able to make these impact plays. Um, and so you're going to allow him to play through some inconsistencies as a young player because he's that good, because he's that talented and he's a first round draft pick, but there are still things to work on. And so like, that's, you know, I think that's one of the things that you, you have to really kind of go back and watch it to identify because no, you know, and I don't blame people for this, but people, you watch the ball. Like that's what you do when you watch a football game, you watch the ball. You're not staring at the defense the interior defensive line and being like, Oh, what a great run fit. You know, like that's that's just that's what you do when you go back and watch it because you know right. what happens on the play. But it's like, OK, but why? What did he do? What did he do? Um, and so, yeah, this team really likes Brian Brzee. He's just going to keep getting better and better. Yeah, great to see. I mean, we know that, you know, some of these first round picks the last couple of years haven't panned out too well. Right. And I, I mean, I know the, uh, the the jury's still out on a guy even like Trevor Penning. But man, we're at least there's the positive aspect there, too. We're seeing you know, small increases in his play. So uh, I'm just hoping with both of these guys, obviously, with the more reps they keep getting, we're gonna we're gonna see more of that talent that the Saints were hoping uh, to get when they they took them in the first round. Yeah, you can't whiff on first round draft picks. You just can't. And and the, when you do, it really sets you back. Like this defensive line, right? Like it it feels like the depth isn't as good as it should be because you know two first round draft picks have really kind of fallen away, and, and yeah. you're not sure what you're going to get out of Peyton Turner if he's able to get back this year. But Marcus Davenport definitely didn't give you what you thought he would. And uh, he's not giving the Vikings what they thought he would either, uh, to be fair. But, uh, you know, speaking of a draft pick, and, you know, one guy – so we talked about Paulson Debo getting back. And I don't think that Isaac Yadam has played poorly. I think he's actually played very well. I mean, that interception at the goal line was, was great. He – deserved a touchback because exactly i was gonna say the same are they thing doing like so stupid like why why is the defense getting punished why are the saints getting punished for making a great play by this inane ruling where it's like why wasn't there a booth review maybe it's not reviewable i, I actually looked that up to see if maybe it was in a non-reviewable play but okay. it's tough to identify exactly what reviewable and non-reviewable plays are um either way you know and and so i don't think that Isaac Yadam being on the field has affected the Saints negatively that much. Like, I don't think the drop-off from Paulson Adebo to Isaac Yadam has been significant. But I do think it is negatively impacting Alante Taylor. And we saw that in this game. He was playing a little head, like his head was on fire. I think he's being asked to do a lot. He's being asked to prepare for a lot because in base personnel, he's the outside because you want to keep him on the field. There's no slot corner. So you want to keep Alante Taylor on the field in some way. When it's Paulson Debo, you're okay with it because Paulson Debo is your starting outside corner, but it, it doesn't make sense to have Isaac Adam on the outside when Alante Taylor could also be on the outside. He's still their best slot option. So what that's, what's that's forcing Alante to do is 
I think, prepare for too much. It's like he's focusing on all these different things. And I think he's getting a little lost in the game planning. And hes you can tell he's thinking out there. That big play to Chris Godwin that set up that score that really iced the game, guess who it was that kind of got lost in coverage? Could have been. <laughs> it was Alante, right? And Demario yeah. Davis held on that play. So it wouldn't. it's not like even if he stopped it, it would have been a great result. But what happened was Alante... It looks like he's signaling because they think they're going to drop in a zone. And he thinks that Chris Godwin is running it out. So he turns and runs upfield. And then you can see Chris Godwin is actually running a return route. So he's breaking to the outside. It's like the, the, the whip route, you know, like. And so, but Alante doesn't see it. He's going upfield with the, the receiver out of the slot. And Chris Godwin just kind of like casually strolls across the middle of the field by himself and catches that ball. And then obviously Chris Godwin is an elite NFL receiver, so he's able to make a play downfield. But I think that's just an example of like, I think he's just trying to do too much. He's got too too many responsibilities right now and having to focus on inside responsibilities, on outside responsibilities and, and interchanging that in his head is not beneficial to him. I want him to be able to focus on one position. And so, you know, if Paulson D was able to get back, that's the case. And I think that will be helpful to him because he did not have a great game. He has moments. He always flashes. He's a great player. But, you know, those breakdowns can't happen. You know, like that was like a 60-yard pass play that basically ended the game. So I think it was a third down as well. And And still patiently waiting for that first Alante Taylor pick. Yeah. I keep keep calling for it every week. Eventually, I'll be right. Maybe. Maybe he's Maybe. Cursed. Maybe he'll just never get it. And like again, I, I like Alante Taylor a lot. I think he's been. I think he's had a good season. I think he's playing well. But I just think like the, this setup where you're asking him to. I think you're asking him to do a little too much. Like you're asking him to do more than you're asking Marshawn to do. Marshawn doesn't go inside. Marshawn is an outside cornerback, and he's arguably the best at it in the game. He didn't have his best game, but like the, he doesn't get asked to go inside. And so, but you are asking Alante to do both of those things, and that's that's a lot. Uh, so, well, you know, when you're trying to figure out like, okay, how does Paulson Debo returning help this defense? To me, that's the big, uh, the bigger element than replacing Yadam per se. I honestly think you, you get to a point where you're better off just having Yadam be the outside corner and keeping Alanti in the slot. And for whatever right. reason, they played a lot of base in this game. They started in base and it became clear very quickly that that was not going to work because Zach Bond just cannot cover. It also seems anybody wishing that the Saints are going to make a punting change. That's not happening. Blake Killigan is now heading to the Arizona Cardinals. Is he? Yeah, he, so he got scooped up by someone finally. And, man, that's another thing, Jeff. Uh, the, the, the jury, I guess, is still kind of out on the Saints punting situation where, I mean, there's been a, a few times they've been able to pin them inside the 20, but, there's, man, they, they don't look right and they're pretty short. Uh, you know, in, uh, when it comes down to it, Blake kill again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I, they, they look like they're supposed to look, it's, uh, it's going to look like that. And like, <laughs> right. That's, just, that's what it is. The rugby style punter. Like that's not the issue. The issue isn't the style of the punt. He doesn't have the leg. Like he doesn't, it doesn't, he doesn't have the boot. Like, yeah, I want to see like when you're at your own 20 and you're punting, when you're punting from your own end zone, you got to get it out. Like, like you got to get the ball downfield. And that's the thing. That is the big, the biggest difference um, to me thus far is Lou Headley 
is very good at pinning people back, right? You know, and we've seen it so far. You know, even in that game, he punted four times. Three of them were downed inside the 20. It was at the 12, the 13, and the 8. Right. So it's not he's costing you a ton of field position in that way. But it's the it's the punt where you just it's like you're sending him out there at his own 30 and you're just like, okay, flip the field. We'll cover. Just get it down there. And that's where it's like, you know, you can directionally punt all you want. It's all net. So I guess that's a good thing. But it's, yeah, you're, ne- you're never in that position where, you know, there was a play in this game where Rashid Shahid was like back, like running backwards so he could field the punt over his head. And he actually had a nice return on that. But that's never going to happen with, with Lou. You know, it's just not the way he kicks. So, yeah, I mean, you're not changing. You're just, you're going to roll with it. But yeah, it's, it's, it hasn't been great. Uh, one thing that Dennis Allen said is the, you know, it seems like the first punt of the game for him is his worst. Punt. I saw that right. I was like, okay, so he he first comes out and shanks one. It seems, yeah. Which I don't know why that is, but he like for the head coach to to point that out. Clearly, it's something that they've that they're like that that's real. It's not just an yeah. imagined thing because he shanked one against the Panthers. I, I wouldn't even call it a shank in this one. They just kicked it thirty six yards <laughs> and. Oh. uh it's yeah it, uh, it's yeah no it, it's not a, it's not a weapon right now let's put it that way yeah i know and a lot of people obviously are like oh we should have kept morstead that was never happening because of contract issues it wasn't it wasn't having anything to do with morstead's ability anymore it was just the fact they didn't want to pay a punter that much oh, yeah, but why not bring him back well he's he's happy in miami is he i thought well, he was on the jets, jets. yeah maybe yeah, the jets i'm sorry jets. You're telling me when he's a free agent in the offseason, you couldn't be like, hey, Thomas, can we just bring pay you the minimum? You live here anyway. You know, right. I was going to say, I know you're just a couple blocks away. Like he's still an effective. I would argue he's still more effective than than Lou. And it's like, so what? Like if you if you were trying that. to move on from Blake, why wouldn't you just bring in Thomas? I, I don't know. It's it's kind of funny to me because I think they would be better off. Um, but I mean, like he's in his fourth career game. You know, he'll he'll get better. But yeah, I just think the length on the punts is is an issue. And like you would like to see him pin in guys inside the 10, inside the five. If you're going to if that's the strength of your game, the 13 is kind of disappointing. Right. Because it's not like you're 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 coupling that with an 80 yard punt. You're coupling that with a 36 yard duck. Yeah, I'm I'm just had to look real quick right now. uh, Morstead's averaging 47 yards a punt. 43 net and he's had eight inside the 20. Yeah, and 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 Lou is not that. I think Lou's like net or uh net is like 42. Mm. 43.1, I think I'm seeing here. He's got great hair. <laughs> Who's gonna win in a fight? Thomas Morstead or Lou Headley? I feel like Lou would fight dirty. <laughs> yeah, his longest punt is 52. His average is 43.1. Eight inside the twenty. All right, so I mean, so like, like is- he has, but they punted a lot. He's right. punted twenty-one times. So I mean, like, he has done that. Like that, that he has done reasonably well is is, is get the ball inside the twenty and force them to start from their own 10, 13. Typically, you're not going to see seventeen play eighty-seven yard drives like you saw in this game, and that's going to uh, be an advantage. But yeah, it's. It's when you need. It's when you. It's when you are in a bad situation, and, and your punter has a chance to help your defense and get you get you get get them to at least start from their own forty. And in this case, it seems like they're starting on mid at midfield or better. Yeah. Besides defense, I mean, not showing up uh, in this game, we, we haven't been. Re- 
I would say special teams in offense have not shown anything where you, you have that confidence in them going forward right now. And you're hoping to see some kind of spark, but um, I, I disagree with that. I think any special teams outside of the punting has been fine. The coverage has been fine. You haven't surrendered any major returns. Um, he should have made that game winner in green Bay. I know it's like, yeah, but he's made every other kick. So sure. I mean, you but know, that like, was a game winning attempt. Yeah, sure. But I mean, he's a rookie. He's going to, he needs to, you know, like I, it happens. Like you, that was the, that was the, the gamble you took when you kept on a rookie kicker. He's going to have to learn in those yeah. moments. And that was a learning experience for him. First time I think he's ever kicked in serious wins since getting to the NFL, but otherwise he's perfect. So, I mean, I'm not going to say it's been a letdown. And then Rashid has a, he has a kick return for a touchdown. And he was, there was a point in this game where I felt like he was the only reliable way to move the ball. <laughs> so I don't know. I think special teams, generally speaking, has been fine. I just think Lou has been a bit of a letdown from what you probably would expect. Definitely, uh, definitely the case there. And yeah, now, like I said, there's no going back to a Blake Gillikin. He's now on the Arizona Cardinals. No, but all right. Let's wrap up this segment. We're going to come back. We're going to do a quick look ahead, kind of reset where the Saints are, what they have coming up, Patriots this week, and then what's beyond that. This is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. Stick around. inside black and gold we've been going for a while here uh, both of these segments got a lot longer than i anticipated so this is going to be a quick one we're going to go through kind of reset where the saints are they're two and two right now obviously there's a long way to go two and two it kind of feels like you know where is is not an unreasonable place to be and it's typically we look at that as the first quarter of the season yeah effectively right now that it's not now that it's 17 it's yeah exactly you know, a little and the percentage points go a little different. Right. But, no, it's more like 23.8% or something like that. But either way, I think it's a good a good point to kind of look around and see, you know, where where is everybody? You know, who's who's out to a hot start that you might not have expected? Who is who is slower out of the blocks than you might have expected, especially the player the teams that the Saints play. So, you know, the first one that we'll look at, you know, is okay, the Saints are 2 and 2. Again, it's like 2 and 2 is fine. I don't think two and two is the worst place in the world to be. It seems like the Saints are two and two every year. It's just the fact that you won your first two games and then lost the next two in such just painful, demoralizing fashion that it feels a lot worse than it is. But you know, you're going out to New England this week. You you don't have to play in any weather, so you're okay with that. This is a Patriots team that is one and three, has been outscored by 42 points on the season, but. You look at the teams they've played, and it's like, okay, that's a little little tough to gauge how good they actually are because they lost week one to the Eagles, 25 to 20. They lost week two to the Dolphins, 24 to 17, a team that got blown up by the Bills. I, I, I don't know, whatever. Uh, then they beat the Jets 15 to 10. And then last week, they lost 38 to 3 to the Cowboys, another team that it's like, I can't figure out. Fifteen to ten. Yeah. That might be a Saints. That may be a Saints. Uh, New England score. That's gonna be. Yeah, I have a feeling that's gonna be this the type of game that this that the Saints want. But I mean, yeah, you look at the 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 the, I don't know, the Patriots. The last two weeks, they're one and one. They've scored eighteen total points. 
So like, this is not an offense that's, that's blowing anyone away. They haven't scored over 20 points this year and, but they have lost two good teams, but the Cardinals also beat the Cowboys and the, and the giants beat the Cardinals, (laughs) but lost to the Cowboys 40 to nothing on, on, on the opening night. So the transitive property is a lie. Uh, Either way, you know, I think it's this, this, the saints and Patriots, matchup is going to be kind of fascinating because I think it's two teams that believe they are better than their record indicates uh, fighting for one of them to be accurate and one of them, uh, one of them to be right. And one of them to be wrong. Yeah. The the big one, you look at it, you know, when you look at scoring uh, defensively to me, uh, it comes to the turnover margin here where the saints are even and the Patriots are minus five. That's Lord. That's awful already this season. I mean, the Patriots have been outscored by 42 points. Uh, let's see. Only the Broncos, who lost a game by 50 points. <laughs> Bengals, which is crazy. Another one and three team. And there, Some folks are calling the bench Joe Burrow because his calf injury. Right. Giants and Bears. Those are the only teams that have a worse point differential than the Patriots. And so you, that's, the, that's the group that the Patriots are with is – like, like the Cardinals have a better point differential than the Patriots. The Panthers have a better point differential than the Patriots. The Panthers haven't even won a game. The Bears are the worst team in the history of time, it seems. <laughs> they can't even beat the Broncos, a team that lost to the Dolphins by 50. And so they're minus, six, they're, they're minus 62. The Giants, oh God, you know, it's really offensive to me that the two games that I make sure to try to watch when I can are obviously the Saints because it's my job. And I'm watching them and I'd be watching them either way, but like, I don't have a choice. I'm watching those games. And then it's like, Oh great. The giants are on Monday night. And I, I grew up a giants fan. So when I can, I try to watch it. Right. Like that's, I wouldn't say that I'm the best giants fan in the world, but if I'm rooting for a team, that's not the saints. I'm rooting for the giants because that's, you know, I can go to a bar and drink and be like, yay. No, it feels like a punishment. Oh, yay. Right. It feels like, it feels, it feels like a, like a, like a chore. I'm like, Oh man, I gotta go watch this. <laughs> they are they they have been outscored by 76 points on the season yeah the, the the giants look like a hot mess right now too uh but yeah the the offensive line will another team the saints play so i mean you know we we look at that early in the season and say you know the giants they should be competitive they were a playoff team last year well what are they gonna look like in week 15 because if it's anything like they look like right now Suddenly, that's like a like a chalk it up matchup. Yeah, another one too. Like you mentioned too, the hapless Bears. I mean, come on. The look, looking at the expectations of Justin Fields going into this year, you're, we were we were kind of like, man, he he might give us some problems in the Superdome come that matchup. The Bears are currently on pace to have the number one and number two overall picks in the draft. <laughs> wow. One of them is theirs, and one of them is the pa- the Panthers. Um, you know, people gave the, the, the saints a lot of grief for the pick they gave away last year, right? Uh, at least that was the number 10. If you end up giving the number two pick away, you trade it up. Like, like they're in position to potentially get the number one pick again. You traded up for that and gave away what might be a top three pick for Bryce young, who you granted, you know, I think he's going to be good, but he's not better than, you know, I don't think he's a better prospect than Caleb Williams. Right. So I don't know. It's just kind of like trading, going and getting that guy at the top of the draft is not as simple as it sounds. 
Um, and the Panthers are better than that 0-4 record probably indicates. And I think they'll win a couple games because they have no incentive to tank. But yeah, Panthers are in or, uh, yeah. That's that's rough. Anyway, yeah, where, where the Panthers, you know, situation with Bryce kind of, you know, looks still very questionable. At least, at least Houston with C.J. Stroud, he seems to be that dude right now. I don't know what the what the heck I'm talking about, but I do feel like I have a pretty good indicator when it comes to the draft. I, I'm pretty good at the draft, you know. When I when I when I make a when I make a an, a pick or an idea, I have a good reason for it, and. I, I was pretty confident the whole way through. I was like, I think CJ Stroud is the best quarterback in this draft. And for some reason, it's like, nope, Bryce Young, we want the 5'10 guy. Okay, I right. <laughs> I don't get it. Like, you know, sure, maybe the processing speed and the, you know, his Wonderlick score or whatever, they do the interviews. I, I've never spoken to Bryce Young in my, well, actually, I did once. I interviewed him at the Manning Passing Academy once, but like, I don't know w- what his processing speed is on the field and, and whatnot. Maybe it's so much better than CJ Stroud's that you can overlook the obvious physical limitations that being 5'10 in the NFL is going to give you. But I mean, I don't, I don't know what CJ Stroud did to get, to get for, for Bryce Young to be the clear first round number one overall pick. Um, but yeah, CJ Stroud has looked good. Um, you know, I think D'Amico Ryans has done a good job with that team. And so, yeah, like that's suddenly, you know, you, you probably looked in the beginning of the season and been like, man, okay. So the saints get the Texans that should be chalk it up for a win. Right. Now rookie head coach, rookie quarterback. Yeah. Young receivers. So, you know, Nico Collins, tank Dell, like this is a team that, you know, it's funny. I have CJ Stroud in fantasy. And he got the exact same point total. He got 23.27 points in weeks three and four. Well, that's solid production right there. Yeah. I mean, he's got a six, 62% completion, 12, 1,212 yards, six touchdowns, zero interceptions. Wow. Uh, he's been sacked 11 times. You know, and they, they haven't run the ball particularly well. Devin, Damian Pierce is averaging 2.8 yards a carry through four games. I know. He's on my fantasy team. <laughs> I mean, he is their leading rusher, but, uh, you know, not, not efficiently. Tank Dell, um, you know, has been good. 16 catches. 267 yards, two touchdowns. Nico Collins is the star of that team, apparently. 22 catches, 428 yards. I mean, we saw C.J. Stroud in the preseason. He led a scoring drive. He's still a rookie, though. And I think the Saints should still feel good about that matchup. But, yeah, it's that the Texans are suddenly a team that you look at like, oh, well, I guess that's not a that's not an, an easy win after all. Right, and we were, uh, you know, looking at the next game after the Texans, we were all worried, oh, the best quarterback on the schedule, Trevor Lawrence, who's been eh this season, you know, nothing fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I I still think he's the best quarterback on the schedule. Oh, for sure, Um, but yeah, I'm just saying we haven't really seen that explosion of a game from him. 96 completions, 67% completion, 943 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions. Yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing to write home about. But the team is two and two. They're first in their division. So, I mean, it's a thing. I mean, like they they manhandled the 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 Falcons in London. Yeah, that was fun to see, at least. Yeah, I watched it in Toy Story mode. <laughs> so you no, got to I'm, see the, uh, the the yard marker with the uh, the dachshund dog, Slinky dog. Yeah, I, I didn't. I actually didn't watch that game. You know, I didn't because I was sitting next to you on the pregame show. We we did get to see highlights though on social media. So I figured you meant that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, keep going down the list. Chicago, we talked about Minnesota, one and three. Come on. You know, right. they, 
I mean, who knows who their quarterback is by the time the Saints get them in week 10, right? Like, are they, do they trade Kirk Cousins? I think it's, I think it's a possibility. I mean, I mean, I don't know what then you do with, what do you say to a Justin Jefferson with that when you, when you make that move? And we're going to go get you a better quarterback <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to pay you. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know, but they don't have a running back. They don't have a quarterback. I mean, the thing is like Kirk Cousins, Stats aren't terrible. Right. Uh, and I think, what was it, the last game he had a pretty good outing and still got suffered the loss. 68%. No, they beat the Panthers. Uh, 68%, 1,214 yards, 11 touchdowns, four Oh, it was the Chargers game. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was the one before that. He had a decent outing. Yeah. No, I mean, like, statistically, he's always been solid. Like, he's never been a terrible statistical quarterback. Just, again, it's just average. But average can win you games for, I don't know, the Jets <laughs> wouldn't if you're the Jets, wouldn't he make a whole lot of sense? Although it is uh, it is tough. We always say like, oh, what if a quarterback gets traded? But quarterbacks almost never get traded because it's so difficult to pick up an offense in season. Um, but yeah, so so that's going to be one. Who knows and where I, they're you know at? It'd be so I, I guess you, if you're making that you want to make that push to the playoff kind of thing. Uh, I, I don't know how you justify trading for Cousins when you know you got Rodgers coming back next year. Because I think Cousins is on a one-year deal. Oh, okay. He's heading into his contract season. I got you. It was a while ago that he got that big money. Yeah, he's in the final year. This is the final guaranteed year of his, of his contract. So if you're the Jets and you just don't want to waste this season and you're like, we can take the hit. What, are, what do you guys want? I'll give you a fourth-round pick, right? You know, and, and that'll give you an opportunity to start. <laughs> Let's see who. Uh, trade him Zach Wilson, right? Uh, or, yeah, right, exactly. His stock's high now after last game. Who's the backup on the Vikings? I don't even know. Ooh, that's Nick a Mullins. great question. Jimmy oh, and Gretna. Jimmy and Gretna's favorite. <laughs> Shout out Big to Jimmy. Miss fan. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I don't know. That's that's going to be one to watch to see how. Like a lot of these teams are going to be interesting to watch. Anthony Richardson has been solid. Man, I don't think I'm it, way I still impressed. Don't think Anthony Richardson is that good. I, I just I don't know. Like I, I I will say he's been more accurate than I thought he would be though. Yeah, I mean he's. I, I don't he's know. already like, suffered a concussion. Yeah. He, he, the way he plays is going to be tough to maintain. Um, exactly. But, but we'll see. I mean, the saints get him in a couple of weeks uh, and they, and that's a game they need to win. They got to win that game. If that, if they don't, if they don't win these games against rookies, then, you know, we're talking, we talk about 10 wins. I don't know if you can get the 10 wins from here without taking advantage of the rookie quarterbacks on your schedule. So that's, that's Anthony Richardson, CJ Stroud, Bryce Young again, and I consider Desmond Ritter to be a rookie quarterback. Fair so enough, right. Those are that's five games, right? So you get the Texans in two weeks, the Colts in four weeks, then you get the Falcons coming off of a bye, then two weeks later you get the Panthers, and then you get Atlanta to close out the season. Right. Of those five games, you have to win four of them to have right a out. to get, in my opinion, to get to ten wins and win the division. Because the Bucs, I think the Bucs are going to put up a number in the division race that is competitive. Like, I don't I don't know if they get to 10 wins, but I think 10 wins gets you the wild card. And it at least gets you in a position where you could potentially win the division. So to me, you got to win four of those five games. And then, you know, you got teams like the Giants, the Rams, you should be favored in that game. The Bears, you should be favored in that game. Patriots this week, you know. So there's wins on this schedule. 
Yeah, the, the team tough, that the toughest matchup might be Detroit, huh? I was just about to say that. The team <laughs> that I think they're going to lose to is the Lions. Man, um, they are stout up front. That team, the the speed of which they turned it around. I think they started, what, 0-7 last year? Something like that? Let's see. I can't remember. I don't know if you've seen this one across social media. Folks asking, is Dan Campbell the coach that got away? From the Saints. <laughs> they started one and six. Then they won eight of their final 10 games. Yeah. So like, and, and now suddenly it's like, I don't know if they, like they're one of the top three teams in the NFL. And anytime you see a team in the, in today's NFL that can run the ball at will, oh. they become very, very difficult to stop. For sure. Be- like because it just allows Jared Goff, a guy who I don't think is a star quarterback, but he can get Not it done. All. Like he has, he has the talent. Like he has the, he has the ability. I don't want him to have to, to have to put the team on his shoulders. But like you know, like a Kirk Cousins, right? Like if you put a team around him that is complimentary, has a good defense, can run, probably the best offensive line in football, you're going to win a lot of games. It kind of reminds me of the Cowboys early in Dak's career where Zeke was going off, the offensive line was fantastic. You had pass catchers who were, you know, Des Bryant and uh, Miles Austin, guys like that, guys who you could trust. Like, they feel like that. And I don't think that's the type of team the Saints are going to beat this year. Plus, they Aaron Glenn knows the Saints very well. Uh, Dan Campbell knows the Saints very well. Pete Carmichael is going to have very few secrets <laughs> for, that, for that matchup. So, yeah, I mean, like, that's one I'm going to chalk up as a loss. <laughs> you know, Buffalo... Oh, no, I'm sorry. That's the wrong schedule. Hold on. <laughs> I was um, like, wait a minute. We don't get the bills. But the, the but that's the thing. I think you have put some good teams behind you in the Packers, the Bucks, apparently, the Titans. Um, so between New England, Houston, Indianapolis, Chicago, Minnesota, Atlanta, Carolina, New York, the Giants, the Rams, and the Falcons. The Saints should be if not favored, uh, you know, even on the, on the, on the betting line in those games. Like, I, I think that they should, ex- they should believe they should win those games. Yeah, um, talking about the lines, they get the bucks this week uh, in Detroit. Yeah. So hopefully go lions right there. It'll be interesting to see if they make the saints look as bad as they did when they beat up on the Packers four days after the saints uh, blew the lead in the same stadium. Um, the games that I'm chalking up as a loss, Jacksonville, Detroit, those are the two losses that I see definite on this schedule. I mean, they can win those games, but like if I if I'm chalking them up as, you know, they would be gravy wins. Like if you get wins in those games, it's huge. But you don't I think you don't have to win those games to get to the postseason. And those are going to be games that you are not favored in. The games that are going to be close, Tampa Bay, in terms of like, you know, I, I think Tampa, I think the Saints and Bucks are a lot closer than they they looked. Uh, yeah. In week four, agreed. Tampa Bay, Minnesota, at the Rams. I mean, depending on, I don't know what's going to be up with only Stafford. Because, and- only because it's a Thursday night game in LA. Right. So that, that's a definitely a big part of that. On a short week, you have to go across the country and play in a stadium that I hate. <laughs> I've only been there once. I don't like it. Um, although I do like the snacks, the snack game is on point, but, but, but overall the stadium gets, 
a negative grade from you, huh? Yeah. Is it, it rained because is it, I was going to say just because it's open kind of thing. And when it should be, it's a, it's a stupid. No, it's fine. It's fine. It's just, uh, I don't know. Like it, 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 it's like, it was made to look nice. Sure. But right. Not necessarily be nice. You know, it's anyway. Um, Kudos to the snacks. We'll give them yeah. props on that. They, they spare no expense anyway. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, so you're two and two. Just the math is not that complicated to get to <laughs> 10 and 7. You need to win eight of your final 14 games. So you need to go eight and six the rest of the way to right, get to not 10. Asking world beating statistics here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I said it was easy and I still did the math wrong. We played four games. So there's 13 games left. Yeah. So you need to win. You need to go eight and five the rest of the way to get to 10 wins. Double digits, right. And that's that's five losses. That's not exactly that's not exactly you know an exciting thing to think they're going to lose five more games this season. But you you can lose five games and still get the double digit win. So if you just lose the games that you probably won't be favored in. So let's say uh, say you lose at Minnesota, it's going to be tough to go to Minnesota and win. Say you lose versus Detroit. Say you go on the road and lose to the Rams on a short week. That's three. Uh, lose to Jacksonville. That's four. One I mean, I have a hard time. Atlanta? Yeah, yeah. Say you drop one of the games to Atlanta. That would mean you beat Atlanta once. You beat Tampa Bay once. You beat the Giants the twice. You beat the Panthers again. Uh, you beat the Bears. You beat the Colts. You beat the Texans. You beat the Patriots. You're at ten wins. Right, and the toughest out of that matchup, I think, obviously going to Indianapolis, going to Houston. Uh, luckily the. You know, the, the at Houston one isn't a, a very long trip, but anytime you play on the road, obviously in the league, it's tough. See, I, I, I don't know because it seems like the Saints play better on the road <laughs> than they do at home because they have lost, what, 11 of their last 17 games at home? Right. So maybe maybe being on the road for those games, like I think it's a blessing that, they, that they're going out to New England this week. If they had to play again at home, man. All right, I think that's it. I think we've 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 put in our we've put in our time here. We, you know, a full ninety minutes, uh, basically not quite, but close. Uh, Look forward to what yeah, what's going to happen now with the injury report obviously coming out uh, on Wednesday to see just exactly where where this team stands and not expecting any changes at quarterback. Obviously, so the Derek Sharp Derek Carr show continues. The Darren Sharper show. No, 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 no. We don't do that one. That was canceled a long time ago. Yeah, for good reason. Yeah, we don't want that. The reruns don't even get aired. Um, <laughs> no. Except for that one that one video. You know what I'm talking about? The Greg Jennings video? He puts no, the team no, on I don't. Back. Okay. You know what I'm talking about? No. He puts the team on his back. That's why I say I'm one of the hardest in Madden. I have one of the most best offense in Madden history. Look at this shit. Greg Jennings caught that shit. He's right, last play of the game. But dog, earlier though, broke his leg. How is he running with a broken leg? <laughs> Look at this holding this shit though. Dog, he put the team on his back. Dog, let's go inside the mind of a Greg Jennings. <laughs> dog, I gotta do this shit. I put the team on my back though. My leg broke. I don't know how the fuck I'm running right now though. I'll do this shit for Madden. <sighs> oh shit. Darren Sharper, oh. one of the most hardest hitting safeties in the league. But I put the team on my back, dude. 
You can't stop me. Cross the plane. Touchdown, Greg Jennings. No, that was a first for me right there. Yeah, it's it's one of like the earliest like viral videos. Uh, let's see, what when was it? Yeah, thirteen years ago. It's got seventeen oh. million views. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, and it's and it's funny because it's against the Saints in the game. Yeah, the hardest hitting safety in the NFL. Greg Jennings running with a broken leg. You don't give a damn. You put the team on his back, though. Kind of like the Leroy Jenkins whole thing. Yeah, it's similar to that. It's a very around the same time. Uh, Okay. Anyway, yeah, it's that that like early YouTube where it didn't even have a like it didn't even have like an algorithm of any kind. Who's just like you've had to like it was all manually shared content. Uh, Interesting. Good stuff. Good stuff. I have, I'm probably gonna have to cut that out of the podcast because it's very salty language. That or bleep everything, which seems like a lot. Oh, I, I, I thought the Odyssey folks would be mad at you for playing the YouTube video. I don't know. Yeah, I don't think that's copyrighted, but we'll see. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> how, how dare you play 13 uh, year old Madden uh, clips? Eh. All right, let's wrap up this here podcast. It's about 90 minutes of sheer gold. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm Jeff Nowak. He's Steve Geller. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow him at Steve Geller WWL. You can follow the show at Saints underscore pod. Check out the latest Saints content news and analysis over at WWL.com. Listen to Sports Talk every day, 4 to 8 p.m. on WWL AM 870 FM 105.3 and on the always free Odyssey app. If you haven't subscribed yet, do that wherever you get your podcasts. If you're on Apple Podcasts and you haven't left a rating or a review, do that. We appreciate it. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you'd like to see. Tell us who you'd like to stop talking, uh, and we'll and we'll do our best to to oblige. Uh, but as always, thanks everyone for listening. Saints are two and two, not zero and seventeen. So we're gonna keep watching and hoping and seeing what happens. It's the Pete Carmichael Show, baby. Let's do it. All right, how you doing, Steve? You ready to go? Cheers to get the three and two. We'll be talking some pats the next podcast. I'm sure. Who that? Go Saints. Peace out, y'all.